from the world famous city of New Orleans, it's the Black and Blue Report. Starring Sean Kelly, producer Dan, D-Dub in the Black and Blue Orchestra, yeah. and the Benchwarmers. Today's special guests include the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, and whoever else we could get to stop by. Online and worldwide, it's the Black and Blue Report. Live, sort of, from Studio B, here's Sean Kelly. How goes it? It's the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. I'm Sean Kelly, and glad to have you along here from Studio B at 5800 Airline Drive. Hope you all had a great weekend. Boy, Easter weekend was uh, sweet weather-wise, and hopefully you got some time with your family. And, of course, uh, those celebrating Passover over the last week, certainly the same well wishes to you and and hope for a good family and a downtime as well. We're back to work here on this Monday, and we're going to turn our attention to the NFL and really start to ramp up our NFL Draft Preview Series. We've made our way through the top ten, and so the second ten takes the center stage this week. And here today we're going to cover two different ball clubs, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers at 15, the Cowboys at 16. So that's on our minds here on this Monday as we join you from Airline Drive. And then today, of course, it's the running of the Boston Marathon. And in some ways, it's a celebration, but it's emotional for many, including one of our own. Ed Lang, the CFO of the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans, has run the Boston Marathon multiple times, including last year, and finished about oh about a half an hour or so before the bombs went off and turned what was to be a beautiful day in Boston into a tragic one, to say the least. And Ed Lang is our guest today, almost a year to the day later, as we remember the Boston Marathon and get his thoughts on how that day went for him and his family, the firsthand account of that tragic happening in the world of sports uh, in Boston just, what, about a year ago now today. We celebrated, or we honored, I should say, the uh, anniversary of that uh, moment uh, last week, and today they're back running today. So that's the celebration part of it. And I'm anxious to get Ed Lang in our studio here today to tell you all about his experiences. NBA-wise, NHL-wise, it was a great week of playoff action. I think that both leagues should be very happy as far as how their first-round games are going and the interest that they're drawing. Of course, it takes exciting games to uh, draw the interest that they've gained, and we've gotten certainly that, and uh, that's been fun to watch. We're going to talk NBA playoffs this week on the Black and Blue Report, and we may also have to check in with the two different NBA franchises with regards to coaching vacancies The New York Knicks have fired Mike Woodson and his entire staff today. And then Rick Adelman has announced his retirement. One of the quiet, great careers in NBA coaching circles. Adelman is anxious to spend more time with his wife, Mary Kay, and all of their grandchildren. And uh, certainly that's one of the guys that you, you wish the best. Absolutely. Even if you had never worked for him or covered him, you in some ways were touched by Rick Adelman and his 1,000-plus NBA coaching wins, and so that's news today on the NBA side of things. So a good show for you on tap. Again, Ed Lang to talk about the Boston Marathon, and then Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette to talk Steelers, and then David Hellman from DallasCowboys.com to tell us about the Cowboys and the number 16 pick overall. I'm Sean Kelly. You can follow on Twitter at Sean Kelly Live. You can also follow this show on Twitter at Black Blue Report. And we'll continue from Studio B right after this.
as one Entergy customer to another, I have a tip for you. Download the free Entergy app. If my power goes out, I check the app. The outage maps let me know what's happening and when to expect my lights back on. It also makes it easy to pay my bill and manage my account, all right from my smartphone. Download the app today or visit EntergyApp.com for more information. Giving me control in the palm of my hand? That's the power of people. Entergy. There's no better time to join your Pelicans as we take flight. All-star Anthony Davis is taking his team to the next level, and the Pelicans are soaring to new heights. 2014-15 season tickets are on sale now and start at less than $300, with lower bowl options as low as $37 per game. Season ticket benefits include the best seat locations, discounts on concessions, and much more. Take flight with the Pelicans. For more info, call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com today. It is an emotional day in Boston, Massachusetts, where today the running of the Boston Marathon takes place, Patriots Day in Boston, and uh, an emotional day on so many different levels. And, of course, uh, we wanted to gain some perspective here on the Black and Blue Report on what that must be like, not only in the world of sports, but for Bostonians and others in the running community today, and for us as Americans, too. And so with that, we're very, we're very honored to have Ed Lang, the Chief Financial Officer of the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans, join us in Studio B today. Ed Lang was not only a participant in last year's running the Boston Marathon, but a finisher as well on a day that ended so tragically uh, for those following that event and for us as a nation as well. Ed, good morning. I'm glad you're with us today. Good morning, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, doing fine. Um, where are you today as far as emotionally about... Um, it being a little over a year now since the Boston Marathon bombing and, uh, and having been a, a finisher of that event and there on the ground that day, um, how, does this, how does this event strike you now a year later? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because you, you look back on an event like that that occurred in your life. And, and you know, initially, I, of course, I was fortunate and finished well ahead of, of what happened. Um, but afterwards and, and looking at everything, it, it was quite an emotional day and, and, and for my whole family, actually, um, it was a very emotional day, particularly my, my two kids. Um, so kind of looking back on it, I, I look at, you know, you take things for granted in life and, and once you go through something like that, you kind of think a little bit harder about, about your life and, and the people that, that, that you love. There are many folks who, who ran the race last year or were there as a spectator that, rightfully so, deal with some survivor's guilt. Have you found yourself in that, in that position? No, not, not really. I mean, I, what I do is when I, when I look back and, and look at the people that were injured um, and, the, and the people that had to really live through that, that trauma, um, you know, it, it's one, I feel blessed that that, you know, I didn't get directly impacted by it. But two, it's just amazing that the um, the people that came together, the survivors, the the uh, first responders, everybody that came together to, to get through that event. Um, those people, to me, are the real heroes that that um, are, it's it's amazing to see what they they had to live through. Ed, take me through the day. Help me set this up. You know, for, by all accounts, it was a good day to run. Um, 
how did your day start and and where did you find yourself when finally things unfolded as they did tragically yeah so so that it was a great day to run the weather was was cool um you know you start off in hopkinton and and it's a whole process you go through just to get to the start line it's you know you get there and you wait around for an hour or two hours um, just to get to the start line and then once the race starts you kind of get into your your running mode um, but Boston's kind of that marathon is very unique it's a you know it's a long tradition um, the amount of fans that come out and cheer you on is is nothing like it there's no other race like it that has that many people out there cheering you on so you get into the race you get into your into your running mode and then you know as as most marathons are a lot of its survival uh, getting through you know the the um, the hills and and then ultimately when you turn down Boylston Street um, towards the finish line you you look at all the people that are that are cheering you on and you see the the finish line in front of you and it's just a um, you know, an amazing sensation you get as you as you head down that street and ultimately cross the finish line. And for me that day, it was I had a good day. Um, I struggled a little bit on the hills, uh, but once you kind of got through that and I turned down Boylston Street, I was you know really excited. I had some friends that were on the grandstands, actually opposite you know where where the uh, the bombs went off. And I actually saw him in the grandstands, waved to him, um, and then crossed the finish line. And kind of once you cross the finish line, it's kind of your cooling down period, your reflection period. And um, everything for me was, was, you know, kind of normal in terms of, of finishing up a race. Where did you go from there? I mean, and, and what time was it when you ended as in relation to when the bombs went off? So I finished about 30, 35 minutes um, before that happened. And, and so I go through the kind of the finishing shoot, and it's kind of a long, drawn-out process. You, you, you go through, and, you know, they give you the blanket. They, you get some water. You get some food. It actually is about two blocks long to kind of walk through the, the uh, kind of the finishing shoot. And once I got through that, I actually sat down for about, 10 minutes or so and, and ate a little bit and drank a little bit of water and then uh, got back up because uh, if you sit too long you get <laughs> you get too stiff and I had to get back to my hotel so um, I then proceeded to the subway because uh, my hotel was a couple miles away got on the subway and um, headed back to to the hotel and I, I think probably based on kind of my my time, it, the bombs probably went off when I was in the subway going back to the hotel. And, and it actually, I had about a another half mile walk to get to the hotel. and But nothing, I you know, I, I was aware of nothing that went on at, at the finish line. And it wasn't until um, I got to the hotel and actually had, had finished up my shower and then my phone started going off ringing and I got text messages and that's when I first heard about what happened. Every cell phone in the city must have been in use at that time. Was it hard to, I guess, communicate to folks that, that A, you were okay and, and B, then in your own self-discovery of what went on? Well, yeah, it was. it's actually 
interesting because I, I had gotten out of the shower and the first either text message or phone, I think it was a phone call from my wife that's, that she left a message said, are you okay? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I actually texted her when I got to the hotel and said, I finished the race. I'll call you, you know, when I, when I shower up. And I'm like, why did she call me again when I left her a message? And then um, Dennis Lausha, our team president, texted me a message and said, are you okay? And and I, I got all these text messages and, and phone calls from people that knew I was there, but I was a bit surprised that, that they did that. And so when I, I immediately called my wife and she said, don't you know what happened? And I said, no. And she goes, turn the TV on. And when I turned the TV on, that's when they, you know, all the replays that were going on, they were showing the the bombs blowing up, and and I, I mean, just I was stunned, absolutely stunned. I could not believe what had happened, and particular when I when I kind of figured out the timing, of all this, I'm like, God, that was just 30 minutes ago that that all happened, and uh, I just I couldn't believe it. And then now, then all of a sudden, I thought about all the people that that I knew were in the race, uh, my friends that were in the stands uh, watching the race. I immediately tried to get a hold of them. And so it was. I spent probably the next six hours literally just on my cell phone trying to reach people to find out, you know, what happened, um, calling people, people calling me. I mean, it was, it was just a – I sat in the hotel room the rest of the day just trying to – to kind of figure out everything that was going on. Finishing a marathon is such a life-changing experience in itself um, and an achievement that will stay with you forever. But uh, first of all, how many have you run now, Ed? Uh, I've done 10 so How many in Boston? Uh, I've done Boston twice. I did it in 2011 and then again in, in last year, 2013. With the way the day ended last year, did it take away from, I guess, this achievement that I'm getting at? Yeah, actually, that's that's probably, um, you know, one of the most interesting things for me is because usually when I finish a race, you know, you have this feel really good about yourself, this big sense of accomplishment to get through something like that. Um, you're kind of you're kind of on a runner's high, so to speak, and, and really you want to celebrate your accomplishment. Well, you know, I had maybe 30 minutes to celebrate my accomplishment from the time I, I finished to the time I find out found out about what happened. And that just kind of put everything, I put everything aside in terms of my accomplishment and started thinking about all the people that were affected by this. And, and you know, what I did really meant really nothing in terms of what those people had to to deal with. So it, it really did kind of, um, put everything in perspective. Did you want to go back and run it again this year? Um, part of me did. And I actually, you know, my finishing time at the Boston marathon last year qualified me to run it again. And so part of me said, yeah, I want to do that again. Um, but part of it was my family in particular, my two kids, because they were really impacted by it. And my younger son basically said, Dad, you're not running that race again. And I'm like, well, Andrew, that, you know, hopefully was just a one-time thing. It will never happen again. Um, But he, it really bothered him. And so 
for a number of reasons, I decided not to do it this year. I mean, I'm focusing more on triathlons right now, so that was that was another reason not to do it. When you look at the footage that will uh, come our way today uh, from today's running of the Boston Marathon, um, surely you'll see it in a different way that say I do, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I actually was upstairs uh watching it before i got before i got on the call with you and and um you know it watching everything and it it does watching the race after running the race and then watching it definitely is a different perspective what does all this say and i'm going to get really philosophical here on you what does all this say about the american spirits and what sports i guess means to that in conjunction with the event and why it was that event, so on and so on? Well, I think, you know, thinking about sports seems to be um, a, a common bond that a lot of people have. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're really athletic and, and, a, a professional athlete or whether you're someone that just goes out and and jogs a couple of miles or someone that just even walks i mean athletics is kind of that common bond we have in america uh that brings people together and, and when you look back over the past year and what happened there i mean every sport sporting event kind of honored what had happened at Boston. I mean, you had, you know, immediately following that, you had the Boston Red Sox game, and they, they honored the people that were injured and and um, the people at uh, the Bruins game. Uh, the injured people were honored and the, and the first responders. I mean, it kind of, it, it was, it's kind of like a healing uh, process that we go through, um, using sports as kind of the conduit to, to help us heal. So I think that's, that's what sports helps us do. It brings people together and it, it helps us heal on, on, you know, tragic stuff that happens like that. Well said. And I think that's probably the best way to, to kind of end things today. Um, I, I hope that you can celebrate that accomplishment at some point in your own way. And even if it takes years to do that, but, uh, just, I guess I'm at a loss for words with, I guess, the difference between watching this on television for me today um, as a citizen and as someone who works in sports as opposed to the firsthand account that you have. And how you hold on to that will be interesting for me to ask you about for years to come. Yes. And, and, and I, you know, I'm going to run it again. I mean, just because the Boston Marathon is is so special and it it will probably be when I do it again it will probably be even more special just to kind of you know go through in my mind the 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 events that happened last year and and kind of cross that finish line again well we'll be here for you and when you decide to make that decision and uh and all the best Uh, thanks again Ed for coming by today I'm really glad you're able to share this with us you're welcome it was my pleasure Ed Lang, CFO of the New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Pelicans and 2013 Boston Marathon finisher with us here on the Black and Blue Report. Continue right after this.
Okay, you've just been told you have a serious heart issue. Congestive heart failure, a valve problem, a complex rhythm disorder. Now what? At Auctioner, we suggest you take a moment and do some research. When you do, you'll find Auctioner Medical Center has the only heart program in the region ranked among the nation's best by U.S. News & World Report. We routinely treat the most complex cases with revolutionary procedures such as surgical and non-surgical valve replacements and the total artificial heart. And we have the largest, most comprehensive program for treating arrhythmias in the Gulf South, offering options not available elsewhere in the region. At the end of the day, the most important thing to hear is... I just saw your test results, and they look great. No problems. Leading Edge Care. Just one more reason to choose an Auctioner-affiliated physician. For an appointment, visit auctioner.org or call 1-866-AUCTIONER. That's O-C-H-S-N-E-R. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Very nice stuff from Ed Lang. Uh, very emotional stuff regarding the Boston Marathon on this uh, Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Kind of turning our attention back to the NFL now, and we'll continue our draft preview series here on this Monday. And we need to check in, of course, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have the 15th overall pick in the first round. And when it comes to the Steelers, there's only one man to talk to. That's the dean up there, and that's Ed Bouchette from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He joins us here on the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans and has already tweeted out <clears throat> excuse me, this morning that the Steelers have visitors today in the form of Anthony Barr of UCLA and Bo Allen of Wisconsin. So your days never seem to end up there, Ed. How are you? I'm great, Sean. Thank you. It's uh, we're having what may be our most gorgeous day of the spring right now. Oh, that's outstanding. It's been, what, three-plus decades for you on the Steelers beat now? <laughs> I lost count. Uh, this is actually this is my thirtieth season um, covering them for the Post Gazette, uh, Pittsburgh Post Gazette. This will be my thirtieth year, but I actually started with some smaller papers back in the seventies. How do you keep them all from running together, Ed? I don't, Sean. I really don't. <laughs> uh, you know, if they would if they would change coaches more often, you could identify them with the coaches, but. Uh, you know, I've covered three coaches, and um, I came in on the t- tail end of Chuck Knoll's career, his last third anyway, and uh, uh, so I missed, uh, at least on my beat at the Post-Gazette, I missed those, uh, the, the 70s per se as, uh, you know, um, covering them on a daily basis. The fact that they've had so much stability at the top there, Ed, does that make them an anomaly in the NFL these days? No, I don't think so. I mean, you look at um, some other teams that have been pretty good uh, uh, at that way, and and New England is certainly one of them now. Uh, Maybe they weren't uh, in the old days, but they are one. I think the New York Giants are another. Um, You you, you find, I've found that the the Steelers, part of the reason for their success is uh, their consistency. You know, they have a philosophy, they stick with it, um, if the coach has a bad year or two, or even in Bill Cowher's case, he had three in a row uh, out of the playoffs, and they stuck with him, and it rewarded him a few years later by uh, winning a Super Bowl. So um, I think that philosophy has served them well, and, and some other teams have too. Mm-hmm. When you look at the philosophy, Ed, um, how does it translate into what you've seen so far this offseason? Well, you know, they – they had changed a little bit, and free agency 
and having a great team, I think, forced that on them. They, um, you know, they, they kept their players, which is what they always try to do, keep their good players. But um, they had so many good ones that brought them to three Super Bowls and two victories that maybe they kept some of them a little too long. And that happened in the 70s as well. So um, now they're going through the weeding out process, a transition, if you will. It's not a total rebuilding. It's a transition. You know, they still have the good quarterback. Um, so as long as they have him, they feel they're in the hunt. Uh, but they, have, they are making a lot of changes. A lot of familiar names have gone in the past two years. Notable uh, news uh, here from the Steelers in this offseason. Darius Hayward Bay, Bryce McCain, a wide receiver and a cornerback there. Uh, Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Have the Steelers filled some needs here via free agency? I don't think with those two fellows you mentioned that they have, no, um, because I think those are their, still their top two needs are wide receiver and cornerback. Um, I think they what they did do, uh, early on with like signing uh, Lance Moore from the Saints after the Saints cut him, he's going to help them more than um, Hayward Bay. And um, they also signed Mike Mitchell, a safety uh, from Carolina as a free agent. And he's going to take Ryan Clark's place um, because he, you know, he became older and wasn't playing as well. And they decided not to resign him. So I think uh, those two guys and, um, um, those are their main two. Uh, those are the mm-hmm. two fellows I think that are, are going to help them the most. When you look at the fifteenth pick, Ed, um, it it seems to be kind of a tricky pick because I think the Steelers are still going to find a decent player at fifteen, one that either is best available or fills a very specific need. Um, but how much of it has to be reactionary at fifteen with regard to who's left? Well, I, you know, they do enough mock drafts and go through various scenarios, Sean, that uh, I think they have an idea uh, that there's going to be, you know, they probably have a handful of guys who are going to be there. Now, um, Kevin Colbert did mention that this would be a year, if you were looking at it, to maybe try and trade down. However, if that's what he wants to do, that means other teams want to do it as well. Mm-hmm. So it may be difficult to do. Um, or get value for that. Uh, the thing that I mentioned, their biggest needs, uh, cornerback and wide receiver, are also deep in this draft. So they're in pretty good shape there. Um, they could take, you know, cornerback, wide receiver, one, two, or they could do it uh, wide receiver, cornerback, one, two. But I, I think those are the two things that, uh, that they're looking at right now. Ed, there's so many teams that I've talked to that have talked about a wide receiver. And I'm beginning to wonder, or at least have the conversation in my head, um, is this wide receiver draft class so deep and so special that I keep hearing that over and over again? Or is there just a severe lack of quality wide receivers currently in the league? Which one is it? Yeah, I I don't know, Sean. I know um, the Steelers have uh, had a lot of success. Excuse me, a lot of success. (laughs) Spit that out. Um, With getting receivers later um you know they they got um uh mike wallace and emmanuel sanders and even if you want to go back to heinz ward on the third round they got antonio brown on the sixth round um they've they've really had some luck uh finding wide receivers late so i think that um 
I can't I can't say about the league. Um, you know, the the passing numbers keep going up, so there must be some decent guys catching the ball somewhere. If you were to sit here on, you know, Easter Monday and try and figure out what the headline of this draft, whether it be, you know, league wide or for the Steelers specifically, what do you think will jump off the page come May eight, nine, and ten? I think it's going to be a draft, another unexpected draft in the first round, especially at the top. Uh, I don't think too many people are going to nail the top. Uh, not with those quarterbacks. You know, there's not a quarterback out there who is, um, uh, you know, that anybody considers the top overall pick. Um, maybe somebody will make it. Maybe Houston will make somebody the, the, the number one pick at quarterback. But, um, you know, in Clowney, I think everybody feels that he's far beyond should be the number one talent, uh, but whether he's the number one pick or not, we won't know. Um, but I just think that uh, I think what we might see is some just strange maneuverings in this draft. Yeah, I think you're right. It'll be fun, that's for sure. Uh, do you like the fact that the draft was pushed back into uh, into May 8th, 9th, and 10th? No, I don't because I'm selfish with that, Sean. Um, <laughs> it seems too long between the end of the season, especially when <laughs> when the team you cover doesn't make the playoffs, and the draft. I mean, you know, a lot of people are doing uh, stories here in Pittsburgh on the great 74 draft, which produced uh, four Hall of Famers for the Steelers 40 years ago. Uh, that draft was made in January. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody wants to see it in January again, but I thought in April it was a pretty good fit, and pushing it back into May, I know it drags out things for the NFL that they can talk about it and it's good that way, but I, I do think there's too much analysis as well. Plus it pushes everything further into the summer, and I kind of like my summers to myself, Sean. Yeah, I do too, Ed, and I'm with you. And I think there needs to be a little bit of a break. I think that the NFL may be headed toward oversaturation, and by making this a 12-month uh, calendar does make it difficult to avoid doing that at this point. You know, when I first started uh, this, and you know, when I first started as my beat in '85, Chuck Knoll would have they'd have the draft. You know, it was in April then too. Uh, he'd have a rookie orientation for three or four days, mini camp, what have you, and then there would be nothing. I mean, nobody would show up. Nobody would lift. They'd lift on their own at some weight places, you know, some gyms or something in their hometowns, and then they'd have a one week mini camp that was required. It was the, uh, he always started at Memorial Day, and then it was off until training camp. Uh, the off-season was truly the off-season. Now, you know, that, that, that horse has been out of the barn a long time, and they'll never go back to that. But the Players Association has cut back a lot in that new CBA on uh, what they can do in the off-season. That's for sure. Hey, Ed, I really enjoy reading your stuff in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, but maybe Twitter is a good way to go, too. If folks want to follow you on Twitter, how do they do that? Well, if they know how to spell my name, it's at Ed Bouchette. That's all, Sean. <laughs> well, and, I guess uh, we should spell it then. E-D-B-O-U-C-H-E-T-T-E, correct? Yes, you have it, Sean. Thank you. Ed, with a name like Bouchette, it sounds like you ought to be covering the New Orleans Saints for the times picking you, let alone the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I've Googled people. There are some Bouchettes down there, but I don't believe they're relatives. We come from uh, New England. Very good. Ed, happy offseason to you. I hope that you get some break here post-draft, if that's fair. Thank you, Sean. Ed Bouchette with us here on the uh, Black and Blue Report. As always, we appreciate his visit. 
And we'll continue with our NFL Draft Preview Series and the Cowboys when we come back. Hey there, what you having? Um, what kind of specials do you have today? Well, tonight we're doing $2 benzene and tonics, $4 lemon arsenics, and $5 beryllium bombs. Wait, what? Those don't sound like drinks. They sound like types of poison. Well, it's a fine line. Besides, this is a smoky bar. What do you think we're all breathing in right now? Uh, I don't know. Nicotine? Listen, I'm going to hook you up. You're not really living until you've had a formaldehyde martini. Yeah, I'm going home. Secondhand smoke does more than just stink. It costs Louisiana thousands of lives and contains dozens of harmful chemicals that lead to things like emphysema, heart disease, and lung cancer. Learn what's being done to protect all Louisianans in bars and gaming facilities at letsbetotallyclear.org. Want each show delivered right to your iPhone or iPad? Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for the Saints and Pelicans. And we continue on this Monday as we have uh, really now uh, dug into our NFL Draft Preview Series. We've heard from a number of teams, a couple more today, and that takes us to number 16 in the Dallas Cowboys. And so we're honored to have New Orleans native David Hellman from DallasCowboys.com join us. Uh, David, it's always nice when we get a New Orleanian on the program with us that finds themselves in a different portion of the country. Um, hey, it's oh, it's always nice to uh, – oh, I'm sorry. No, no, my bad. No, I was going to say, I had crawfish yesterday, which I know is a part of your life at some point in some form or fashion, but maybe um, I have one up on you after this weekend since you're in Dallas. It's actually really uh, ironic that you say that. I actually went to a crawfish boil here in the Dallas area on Friday night. Uh, not quite uh, as good as it usually is back at home, but it was a nice little reminder. Gosh, you did get lucky there. See, I thought I had one up on you here on this Monday. Well, hey, I, I mean, if I, you know, if I could, uh, if I could have had them at home with family and friends, it would have been preferable. But you got to take what you can get up here. <laughs> I understand. Uh, uh, on any other day, I'd probably ask you about your LSU Tigers, but I do want to focus in on the <laughs> Cowboys today. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, David, as you've seen it now, covering for DallasCowboys.com, one of the best team websites in the league. Um, how has the offseason progressed here for a Cowboys team that probably found itself scratching their collective heads at the end of this last regular season? Uh, well, it's been uh, it's been unusually quiet and low key for a team that's in you know as in the public eye as the Cowboys usually are. Um, you know, the big biggest news of the offseason was probably that they released Demarcus Ware, the uh, definite Cowboys Ring of Honor member, probably a Hall of Famer too, uh, and did it as a, it was a, a money-saving move, enabled them to sign some free agents they probably wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise. But you see the franchise all-time sack leader leave. It's always a bit of a story, and that kind of plays into what they need to be doing in this draft is that they have a, a definite lack of pass rushers. They signed a Pro Bowl defensive tackle in Henry Melton, who's coming off ACL surgery. So he, he's had a few good years, uh, especially playing for Rod Marinelli, who's the defensive coordinator here now. But he is coming off an injury, so a bit of a question mark. So really not sure who's going to be sacking the quarterback for the Cowboys next year. And if they don't find someone who can, they're probably in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I'd say that's a very immediate need here for the Cowboys. And, and maybe before I ask you to expound upon that, 
Um, help us clear something up here, whether, whether it's the release of DeMarcus Ware or what the Cowboys want to do here this spring. Um, you know, those of us outside of Dallas hear all the stories and criticism about Jerry Jones and the owner wanting to be the general manager at the same time and all that. What is the, what is the truth? What is the reality of the situation on who calls the shots for these types of moves? Moves rather. Well, I think, um, and and the line you hear here is that, uh, you know, there's cooperation between the coaching staff and, and Jerry, and uh, his son Stephen Jones is the executive vice president. And uh, the the storyline here, especially with the release of Demarcus Ware, and like I said, they've kind of been more low key, uh, you know, been more money conscious than maybe you would expect of this team in recent years. And a lot of people assume that that means that that Stephen Jones has kind of begun to put his stamp on on management if you will and i think there's probably some truth to that i i would never imagine in a million years that jerry jones has completely removed himself from the process entirely but i think you're kind of seeing him gradually begin to to step out of the everyday decision making process the uh, the minutia if you will i mean he definitely i'm positive still weighs in on the the groundbreaking you know headline grabbing developments but I think you're definitely starting to see Stephen Jones kind of you know, put his stamp on, on building this team, so to speak. You mentioned sacking the quarterback, and you mentioned the signing of Melton, which is a question mark in some ways as far as his durability or what he has left in the tank. Um, but if you were to look at the draft and that 16th pick in the first round, uh, assess the needs and how they can be met or maybe not met by this uh, draft class. Well, unfortunately for the Cowboys uh, and their draft position especially, they have a lot of needs, and we always joke, you know, 16, they're right in the middle of the draft where, you know, obviously they weren't, they haven't been good enough to make the playoffs the past few years. They haven't been bad enough that they really have a groundbreaking draft spot, so you kind of have to make the best of what you can get in the midpoint of the draft. They need defensive linemen. Uh, I, I might not have the exact number on hand, but, with the release of DeMarcus Ware, their combined sack total of their returning defensive linemen is somewhere around 25 career sacks for their entire defensive line. Just not not very good at all. Um, so they need defensive linemen. The, the popular name you hear around here is Aaron Donald, the All-American defensive tackle from Pittsburgh. Uh, I think if they could get him at 16, I think they would jump all over it, and I think it would be a great move for them, even with Henry Melton in the fold. They just don't have any depth there. So that's the name you hear a lot. You also hear Anthony Barr, uh, the defensive end linebacker hybrid uh, from UCLA. Again, if he was there at 16, I think they would jump all over that. Problem for them is that both neither one of those guys is likely to last that long. So you have to start evaluating, you know, what you can get at 16 versus what you need. I've been saying all spring, yes, defensive line is undoubtedly the Cowboys' biggest need, but there's probably better value there. Uh, maybe a guy like Zach Martin, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame, or even uh, like you mentioned, the LSU Tigers. If Odell Beckham was there at 16, the Cowboys don't have a lot of depth at wide receiver, which seems counterproductive because they need defense so badly. It's just I'm not sure if there's going to be a defender that's worth the pick still on the board when they come up. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And, of course, trading back is always an option. They did that last year. Uh, they turned the 18th pick into the 31st pick and a third-round pick, and it worked out pretty well for them. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them go that route. It just kind of depends on what's still there when they come up on the board. Mm, interesting. And you mentioned Odell Beckham and wide receivers, and, of course, the Cowboys have Des Bryant, but – it seems like everybody I've talked to here, David, 
uh, once a wide receiver and think they can get it in this draft class, which very well may be the case. Um, the, the larger discussion here would be uh, the want to help Tony Romo out. Is wide receiver the best way to do that at this point? Oh, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, uh, Des Bryant is one of the top five or six receivers in the league. Terrence Williams had a really great rookie season here. Uh, there's not a whole lot behind them. So, yeah, I think, and, and it's a good point, this is a really deep wide receiver class, so you could probably find a guy uh, who's good enough to start or at least contribute heavily in the third or fourth round. I know the Saints did it last year with Kenny Stills. Same type of deal. I think anytime, I mean, as Tony Romo goes, the Cowboys are probably going to go. So anytime you can get him some extra help, I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. Like I said, uh, uh, an offensive lineman wouldn't be the worst first-round pick in the world. Uh, they have a, a good starting offensive line, but not a whole lot of depth behind those guys. Doug Freeze coming up on a contract here. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Anything that can help him be better and, and help the running game get, get off the ground a little bit more would be great. Obviously, and you know, not to ignore that, the, the really big need is defense. They finished with one of the worst defenses in the league in, in league history last year, definitely the worst defense in the league. So, again, if in an ideal world, I'm sure they would love to address that. I'm just not sure how well they can address that with the 16th pick. It's just going to depend on the teams in front of them for sure. Were Dallas Cowboys fans shocked at how poorly that defense played after they made the change on their staff? Um. Yeah, I, th- I mean, and, and and I'm sure Saints fans can probably relate to this. I think, I don't know if they were expecting the defense to be a juggernaut, but I think any time you finish dead last in the league and, and are among the five or ten worst defenses of all time, give up 600 or more yards four or five times in a season, yeah, it's pretty shocking when you sink to that level of ineptitude for sure, especially uh, – just because the defense here in Dallas didn't look anything like people expected it to when the season finally rolled around, you thought your starting defensive line was going to be uh, anchored by three pro bowlers in DeMarcus Ware, Anthony Spencer, and Jay Ratliff. And Ware was the only guy out of that trio that played a, any kind of meaningful games, and he was still fighting injuries. So just my sense of, yeah, I think the, the preseason idea didn't was not the reality, even in the slightest sense, and it was, uh, it was a bit of a wake-up call for everyone, for sure. David Hellman giving us good stuff from DallasCowboys.com here on the Black and Blue Report today. David, let's wrap up with this. When you talk about a quiet free agency period or a somewhat quiet free agency period for the Cowboys and the fact that they had this tricky pick here in the middle of the first round to kind of get things started on May the 8th, are the Cowboys in a position right now to do enough to put them back into uh, the spotlight that they, I guess, maybe get them deserving of the spotlight that they get nationally here in one off season, or is this going to be a multi-year process for the Cowboys? I think it's a little bit of both. I think uh, to get to the point where Cowboys fans want this team to be, where they're winning double-digit games on a regular basis and can kind of get something rolling like the Saints have in recent years, uh, I think that's a multi-year process. I think that's going to take several years of good drafts and smart decisions. But we've seen in the past three years the Cowboys have been a possession away from the playoffs three years in a row. And in this day and age in the NFL, all you have to do is, and that's kind of Jerry Jones' mantra the past few years, is all you have to do is make the tournament and then anything happens. You can ask the New York Giants about that. Uh, so that's kind of the philosophy here. And, yeah, I think, you know, Melton was a great signing. They've kind of been responsible with their money here this spring. And if, you know, they have 11 picks in this draft, uh, six of them are seventh-rounders. But overall, you know, they have 
11 chances to, to add new players to this team, or, you know, they can trade those picks and turn that into, into better selections. Either way, they're going to have a good chance to bring in some talent, especially in a draft this deep. Uh, so, yeah, if they hit on two or three picks in this draft, I think it could make a significant difference in terms of maybe turning them from a 7- or 8-win team into a 9- or 10-win team. But as far as, you know, kind of, like I said, getting on a roll and, and becoming a team that you expect to contend for the Super Bowl, I think that's more of a down-the-road project. But that doesn't mean that they can't make the playoffs this year in 2014, for sure. Very interesting. Always a great team to watch to see what they do. David, thank you very much. We hope that you get back to New Orleans at some point. Hey, well, you know, I've been visiting a lot this spring, and uh, unfortunately the uh, the Cowboys-Saints game is in Dallas this year. I was hoping I'd have a little built-in chance to go home this fall, but we'll see how it shakes out. No problem. You got it. Hey, thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your time here in April before we get to the draft in May. Hey, I had a great time. Thanks for having me, all You bet. David Hellman from DallasCowboys.com helping us out on our draft preview series here on the Black and Blue Report. And we'll be right back after this. Don't want to miss out on any of the action? Get connected with your New Orleans Pelicans 24-7, 365. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for exclusive prizes and giveaways. Plus, get text messages with all the latest breaking news right on your phone with Pelicans Mobile Alerts. Visit Pelicans.com for information on these great features, plus sign up for Pelicans Insider with weekly updates from the Pelicans. Join the conversation today. SiriusXM subscribers now have a place to talk NBA 24-7. SiriusXM NBA Radio. To the lane, lays it up, he lays it up! With experts like Steve Kerr, Kenny Smith, Lionel Hollins, Sam Mitchell, Jerry Stackhouse, and many more. Plus, guest appearances by NBA players, coaches, and GMs. Get closer to this. LeBron to the rim with a two-hand jam. And this. Direct, page and fires the Rainbow 18-foot jumper is a thing of beauty. By listening to SiriusXM NBA Radio. Channel 217. And the SiriusXM app. Want to listen to the Black and Blue Report on your phone? Download the Saints and Pelicans app today. Well, that'll about do it for us here at the headquarters of the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm Sean Kelly in Studio B at 5800 Airline Drive. Special thanks today, of course, to Ed Lang, CFO of the Saints and the Pelicans, for discussing his Boston Marathon moments with us. Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and David Hellman from DallasCowboys.com. Tomorrow's program comes to you as well from Studio B. We'll continue our NFL Draft Preview Series. We're hoping to turn our attention to golf again as the Zurich Classic tees it up this week at the TPC of Louisiana. And we'll uh, get into some NBA playoff discussions tomorrow as well. Hope you enjoyed this Monday, and I hope the rest of Monday is good for you as well. For our producer, Daniel Salerson, I'm Sean Kelly. So long for just a while. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.